Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church. Uh, let's uh, continue in worship this morning by turning in our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Um, Matthew and then Mark and then Luke. So turn with me uh, to Luke uh, toward the end of it, chapter 22. And we're going to be in verses uh, 14 through 23 this morning talking about the Last Supper. I want to say um, uh, thank you to, to Christy to sharing what she shared with us this morning. And uh, she uh, felt really struck by the song that we were singing and um, had felt like the Lord was speaking to her through that. And, and so she asked, wrote something out and sent it to Pastor David and asked if she could share that. And I just love that. And I just want to say um, that uh, we don't really have a time for like spontaneous sharing in our church. If the Lord's pressing something on your heart in the moment, we don't really do that here. But um, if the Lord's speaking something to you that you feel like would be an encouragement to our church and you want to write it out and send it to one of us pastors and we can talk to you about what you would maybe want to say, uh, we would love that. I think that's exactly what the church is supposed to do. And um, so I uh, just want to, if the Lord's pressed something on your heart, we, we just don't want to stifle that. And so... Um, again, it wouldn't be something that spontaneously happens in the service, but uh, certainly if that's something that uh, the Lord's putting on your heart, we want to encourage that in you. So we are right now continuing our journey uh, through the final week of Jesus's life. And uh, last week we looked at uh, this confrontation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. They set a trap for him, right? Uh, they thought that this trap was going to be a death trap. Uh, they uh, asked him uh, if they should pay their taxes to Caesar or not. And uh, either way, Jesus would have answered, so they thought, was going to get him in trouble with one of the groups that was present there. And, uh, and Jesus uh, brilliantly uh, not only got out of their trap, but then turned it around on the hearers and on us to really uh, teach a, a convicting lesson about who we belong to and what we owe to God. And so uh, that was last week. And, uh, and after that, as the Pharisees, we've kind of seen them on this journey of basically actively looking for a way to kill Jesus at this point. And so that was, a, that was on Tuesday of Jesus's final week, and now we're fast-forwarding to Thursday. We could, spend, we could spend six months in the final week of Jesus's life, but we're not going to do that. So we're skipping a whole lot of stuff. Uh, I encourage you in your own study to be reading through uh, the final week of Jesus's life to see what we uh, skipped over. It's not because it's not important. It's just for uh, time's sake that we're skipping the, some of those things, but certainly encourage you to study on your own. Uh, but this morning, we are looking specifically at the final Passover uh, that Jesus spent with his disciples. So I'm going to read our passage, and then uh, I'll pray, and we'll dive into it. So look there with me at Luke chapter 22. It says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
and likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, God, once again, we, we gather together uh, as your people redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And um, we do our best uh, to capture and understand uh, the significance and the power and the majesty and the might of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And uh, yet, God, so often we just feel, even in our songs that we sing and the words that we uh, preach, Lord, that um, we, our language just is, isn't adequate. And so, Lord, we come to you uh, this morning and we just ask uh, that your spirit would impress these truths on our hearts, even in a way beyond what our words uh, can express, and that we would just come away uh, from our time this morning just more in awe of Jesus. And God, we confess uh, our sin to you this morning. We confess that we, um, we this week, uh, chose our own way. Uh, we chose uh, to be our own gods in many ways. And, um, and so we just ask your forgiveness. And uh, we thank you that as we look at uh, this, um, this last Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, and then as we partake in the Lord's Supper together, that we have just this visceral and powerful reminder of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, forgiving our sins, Lord. Um, and so, Lord, for anyone uh, this morning who's struggling with that idea um, that uh, your blood is not, uh, that the blood of Jesus is not enough uh, to forgive our sin, that our sin is beyond what the blood uh, can cover, Lord, I just ask um, that you would really speak truth into their hearts today, and they would just know that if they are, in fact, in Christ, uh, that you love them, Father. And that they stand uh, before your throne uh, with a strong and perfect plea. Uh, the great high priest uh, died so that we can live and be a part of your family forever. What a joy, Lord. So quiet our hearts this morning. And as we look at this passage, God, we just want to see more of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm curious uh, this morning, how many of you grew up in a family or are currently in a family uh, with, that has certain traditions that are just completely untouchable, like you don't alter them even one little bit? I think I've talked about this before. I'm part of a family like that. I, for the sake of uh, protection, I'm not going to say if it's my family or my in-law's family, but I'm part of a family like that. And uh, one year at Thanksgiving, I offered, uh, I had this uh, new smoker, and so I offered, you know, maybe I'll smoke the turkey for us uh, this year, and uh, you would have thought that I had offered to, like, smoke uh, the family cat with the re response that I got to that. Um, you know, that's not how we do things. We have a special pan, we have a certain recipe, we have that 
use that pop-up thermometer that, uh, you know, never is always finicky, and, and we don't need any fancy thermometer. We don't need any fancy smoker. We, don't, we do it our way, and we're not going to touch it, and uh, don't even try to change it. So who's in a family like that? Raise your hand if that's your couple of you. Who is that person who's like, my family's like that, and it's because of me. Yep, Rhonda McCorkle, that's, uh, she's the one, and uh, Megan Durfer. So we got a couple of you in here, and uh, so you're going to struggle with our passage this morning a little bit. Um, if you, but Megan, Rhonda, let me just say, you would have fit in really well in uh, ancient Israel. Uh, unless, of course, you like air conditioning and like running, you know, indoor plumbing and those things, and you might not have fit in very well. Um, but we're getting off track a little bit. Traditions were a big deal in ancient Israel. And it wasn't, uh, wasn't just grandma or grandpa who was in charge of the traditions for the family. It was, it was written into scripture. They were told exactly how to celebrate uh, different feasts and festivals throughout the year. And our passage this morning that I just read takes place uh, during one of the most significant traditions of the Jewish faith, which is uh, the Passover meal. The Passover meal had been celebrated for over a thousand years at that point, uh, commemorating a specific event in Israel. Who knows what specific event in the Old Testament that the Passover meal is uh, commemorating? Anybody? I heard one person mumble it. The Passover, thank you. The Exodus, right? I'm going to say we all know that, and we were all just a little bit too afraid to actually say it out loud because you don't want to be wrong. But it's Passover. It's the Exodus. And, um, and um, then when God spared Israel's firstborn sons and led them out of Egypt uh, through the Red Sea and freed them from slavery. And that's what Passover was uh, celebrating. And it was, it was a big deal. And the way you celebrated it was a big deal deal. Moses told them exactly what they were supposed to do uh, every year to celebrate it. And you weren't supposed to mess with it. No, it wasn't, you know, don't slow cook, cook the lamb on your smoker or whatever and mess with things. Like, just do it how you're supposed to do it. And so what Jesus does in our passage this morning is something that would have gotten him kicked out of my family, at least. He messes with tradition. He changes uh, the Passover uh, um, elements. Each element of this meal, there was kind of a progressive meal. Some of you, I've talked to some of you, has anyone ever gone through like a traditional Seder meal before? There's a couple of you, and actually our students did it this year. Uh, Pastor Craig uh, uh, cooked up the whole meal for them, and they went through, and you go through each element. Uh, there's different, you do different things and eat different things, and everything that you do is highly symbolic, and it corresponds uh, to a certain event in the story of the Exodus. And so what Jesus does, and something that we don't really see because we're so familiar with this passage and we're so familiar with the Lord's Supper and we, we practice it regularly, but what, what we fail to notice most of the time is that what Jesus is doing is he's taking these symbols that have to do with Israel fleeing Egypt and he changes their meaning. He says, these symbols aren't about the Exodus anymore. They're about me. 
And so to understand the significance of this scene in the final hours of Jesus' life, we need to understand, like, Jesus, he wasn't just making a couple offhand comments uh, as they were just kind of eating um, any old meal together. Like, hey, Jesus, can you pass the rolls? And yeah, sure, here, by the way, this, uh, this is my body. Like, it's, it was a little bit deeper than that. Um, he's leading them through a meal, But instead of saying the same things that they had said every year for over a thousand years, uh, he has something very different to say when he speaks. And we'll get to that. But I thought this morning, uh, this week I was trying to figure out a way actually for all of us to kind of do this meal together. And... uh, and I couldn't logistically figure out, and a couple things came up this week and just wasn't able to uh, make it happen. So I thought instead what we could do is uh, do a pretend uh, Passover meal together. And so we're all going to have to use our imaginations. Our, our son, uh, Owen, is big into pretend right now, and he'll say something and... Uh, and I'll be like, what are you talking about? And I'll be like, daddy, 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 daddy. I'm just, it's just pretend, okay? So like, uh, it's like when I'm like trying to take things too literally, he says, dad, it's just pretend. So this morning, we're all going to kind of do that, okay? We're all going to pretend uh, to take this meal together because there are, uh, like I said, there's certain elements uh, that happen. So first of all, the, something that we're not going to do or even uh, pretend to do, uh, but the 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 form that they took when they took this meal was they were reclining. They were laying down. There was a couple months ago in a different passage that was talking about reclining at a feast. And I kind of got down on the floor and demonstrated how they'd kind of prop themselves up on their left arm and then eat with their uh, right hand. I'm not going to do that again this morning. Um, but uh, that is, that's how they do. So apologies uh, to uh, da Vinci. It was Da Vinci, right, who painted the Last Supper? Do I have that right? Any art people in here? Okay. Anyways, he got it kind of wrong. They weren't sitting down at a table. They were laying down, uh, reclining uh, at um, at this table. And uh, each each guest had uh, four glasses of wine. Okay. But we're Baptists this morning, so we're going to pour ourselves four glasses of grape juice. So go ahead and pour yourself your four glasses of grape juice. If you want to pour yourself some wine, I guess. Okay. It's all pretend. But anyways, you got your four glasses right in front of you. Does everyone have certainly? Uh, so everyone has their four glasses of grape juice right there, right out in front of you now. Very good. You might need a little tray on your lap. So you got your four glasses, and uh, each uh, each glass was uh, taken at a specific time in the meal. And so there's. Uh, there's all sorts of elements and there's all sorts of ways that people uh, celebrate this and have celebrated this over the years. And we won't get into all of that, um, but uh, we're going to talk about kind of four of the different things that people would do. So one of the first things that they would do is they would have a bowl of salt water right in front of them. It just like, tastes like ocean water. And uh, they would dip uh, like a piece of lettuce into this salt water and then they would eat it. And that would um, remind them of the, it tastes like tears. And so it would remind them of um, their, their tears, specifically um, when uh, Egypt uh, decided to kill um, the children of Israel. And so this was to commemorate that. You remember Moses was spared uh, from that. Uh, but uh, this was to remember, commemorate that moment. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take our bowl of salt water and take your lettuce and dip it in and uh, take a bite. Adam. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so when you taste that, it's a little salty, right? And um, so that reminds us of, 
the, the sadness of the, their children that would die. And then what they would do is they would uh, sing a blessing uh, and then uh, they would drink the wine together. And the blessing, I thought about learning it, but I didn't learn it, but I have a recording of what it would have sound like, sounded like, and it would sound something like this. So you're chewing on the, the lettuce and then this is what you would hear. Very good. And that means, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the world, creator of the fruit of the vine. And so they would sing that, and then they would all take their grape juice and uh, take a drink. So let's all uh, take the first drink. Uh, very good. And now the second one. This is the exciting one. This, the next element was the bitter herbs. And these herbs were... Uh, extremely bitter. You know, you watch Food Network or whatever, and the judge never says, you know what this dish really needs is just a lot more bitterness, right? It wasn't supposed to taste good. It was to remind them of the bitterness of their slavery. And so one of the ways is, that you can do this is actually uh, horseradish. And so they would just eat like straight horseradish. And so that's what I've prepared for each of you. This is why you're thankful that I didn't do this for real. Um, but the point of it was you'd eat it and you would like cry, right? Like tears would come out of your eyes. And that would, again, remind you of the bitterness of what life would have been like in slavery for your ancestors. So here we go. Everyone ready? You got your horseradish and uh, dip a little, I think it'd be lettuce or a little piece of bread or something, and you dip it in and uh, take a bite. Oh, <coughs> man. You guys okay? You good? All right. Uh, if you're not crying, you need to get a little bit more so you can really, really feel it. And so they would be choking down this horseradish or uh, other, other kind of things that would be that sort of bitterness. And then the blessing would play again. Mark, go ahead and play that again. Again, blessed are you, Adonai, our God, ruler of the world, uh, creator of the fruit of the vine. And take your second glass and drink it. Very good. And then uh, the third element, the next element, is the unleavened bread. Uh, if you read the account of uh, this story in Exodus um, and then in Deuteronomy when Moses is telling them how they're supposed to now remember this, uh, they talk over and over again about the unleavened bread. What is unleavened bread? What does unleavened bread not have in it? Yeast, very good. Okay, so now we're, now we're, I think you just needed the horseradish to wake you up, and now we're good to go. Okay, that's good. The yeast, right? And uh, uh, why did they not uh, put yeast in the bread? Well, it was a um, very practical reason on that day, and now it's very symbolic uh, afterwards because um, they didn't have uh, needlers, they didn't have McDonald's, uh, they had to prepare their food every day. And so when you, what is, when you're making bread and you put yeast in it, what does it take a lot of? Time. Yeah. And so it takes time. You got to wait for it to rise and then, uh, you know, knead it and all that stuff and then put it in the, in the oven and, and it would bake. But uh, they didn't have time on that day uh, to wait for their bread to rise. And so God told them that they were going to make these unleavened 
this unleavened bread. Uh, We're not going to be sitting around waiting for our bread to rise because when it's time to go, you need to be ready to go. And so uh, unleavened bread, it doesn't really connect with that. It's kind of like going through the drive-thru at McDonald's on your way on a road trip, right? It's like we don't have time uh, to to sit around and make a huge meal. We got to get moving. And uh, so that's what this was. So now we're going to take this unleavened bread and uh, I'm going to eat it and we're going to remember. Go ahead. We're going to remember that... um, that Israel needed to be ready to go at a moment's notice. And then they would play, we'll sing once again the, the blessing. Mark. All right, and now we take our third cup and drink. Very good. And this is, I hope, hope you're understanding, this is exactly how this meal would go every year. And if uh, you think about your own Christmas traditions, and uh, often many of you have the same things that you do every year. And so that's the kind of feelings that this would evoke. You know, they're talking about uh, God uh, rescuing their ancestors. They're looking forward to their own future deliverance. And so this was really important meal. And uh, the most important element of the meal was the one that we're going to talk about next, which was the Passover lamb. You know, we know the story of the Exodus, right? When uh, the final plague, so Moses uh, went to Pharaoh and asked him to let my people out of slavery. And Pharaoh said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm good. And uh, so plagues started happening, right? He had all these, they had nine plagues. And yet after each one of these plagues, Pharaoh said, uh, you are, I'm not going to let your people go. And so there was a 10th plague that was promised, and that was the death of the firstborn. Uh, the angel of death was going to come and, t- and kill the firstborn of all of uh, every child that was in, in the land. And so uh, there was a way to be spared from this final plague. Uh, and that was if they would kill a lamb, sacrifice a lamb, a perfect lamb, and spread the blood on the doorposts. That that blood, the covering of the blood, reminded them, or it, wasn't, it protected them from uh, this final plague. And so all of Israel did that, and they covered the doorposts with the blood. And, uh, and those who did that were saved. And so they would uh, have the lamb in front of them. I'm sure it smelled great. And uh, before they could dig in, they would... Whoever was re- leading the meal would say something like, uh, this, this is exactly what, what I just said. Explain to them why they were eating the lamb. And then finally, they could dig into the lamb. So go ahead and t- dig into your lamb and take a bite. Um, and uh, I guess they didn't have fork and knife back then. I don't know how they would have done it. I don't know. Anyways, you rip it. Yeah, just, yeah. We all have a leg of lamb. Here we go. And then just, oh, there we go. Um, and they'd eat the lamb and then play the blessing. And uh, then they would drink. So let's all drink the final cup together. Very good. And then uh, the youngest, who's the youngest in your family? Raise your hand. The youngest would have a very special uh, job. And um, that job was to ask a question at the end of the meal. They would say uh, something along the lines of, uh, why is this night different than all of the other nights? And uh, that would kind of cue uh, whoever, uh, the patriarch of the family, to then recount and retell the whole story of Israel. So again, think about maybe you have a Christmas Eve tradition of sitting around and uh, reading the Christmas story, right? Uh, Same kind of thing that would happen 
here. And so they would tell us beginning from uh, Abraham and then go through uh, Isaac and Jacob and his sons and Joseph being sold into uh, Egypt and uh, then being rescued and then kind of ruling over Egypt and then how Israel got into slavery and then God raised up Moses to deliver them out of slavery in the Exodus and they would tell that story and say that is why we're doing all these things tonight. And uh, it was, that was the Passover meal. And it was really special. And it was very important for the people of Israel to remember God's faithfulness and to look forward to God's future deliverance through the Messiah. So we all just kind of took part in a pretend Passover meal. So you can go ahead and wipe your hands with your napkin if you need to. Set your tray aside and we can be uh, done with those things now. But that's, uh, what, that was what the Passover was. Every year, this is how Jesus celebrated the Passover, and uh, this year, uh, this is exactly what the disciples expected Jesus to do if he was going to lead them through this Passover meal. That's exactly what the disciples expected Jesus to do, and uh, that is not (laughs) what Jesus does, is it? Not by a long shot. So what does Jesus do uh, that's different than what we would expect, have expected him to do? Well, first of all, Jesus tells them something very strange, which is that this is his last Passover meal. He says, I'm not going to eat this meal again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And the disciples probably would have thought, that's strange. Yes, you are. Next year, Jesus, you're going to eat it with us again next year, just like we always do. And then later, he says, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And uh, then what happens next is that Jesus takes the unleavened bread. And so now that we just went through this meal together, we know exactly what, we would ex- what the disciples would have expected Jesus to say uh, when he takes this bread. They would have expected him to say something like, this is the unleavened bread, which reminds us of the swiftness of God's deliverance of our people in Egypt. Let's eat that and let's remember. Um, and church, let me tell you, that's not what Jesus said, not, uh, not even close. Listen to what he said, verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this, eat it, and remember me. These are the words that we repeat, right, every single time that we take the Lord's Supper together. And so we're so used to hearing them that we can't even begin to imagine how off the wall uh, this was. And I, and I hope this, this might be an insensitive analogy. I went back and forth on when to say it, but I, I hope it's not insensitive, but it, it, I think it helps. Like, imagine it's Christmas morning, and you're in the middle of opening on presents just like you always do, and uh, your grandpa hands you a present, and you start to tear open the wrapping paper, and instead of saying, you know, Merry Christmas, buddy, I love you, he says, just so you know, I have this really rare disease, and the way that you're ripping that wrapping paper over uh, is like a symbol of uh, what the disease is going to do to my body. So every time that you open up a present, I want you to think about this disease ravaging my body. What would you say? Grandpa, (laughs) there's little kids in here. What are you, like, that's very inappropriate to say, right? And and crazy, like, you, what? (laughs) I'm sure that that is the reaction that the disciples 
had. They're probably thinking something similar, like, Jesus, you've lost your mind. This is, it's Passover. I don't know what you're getting on about with this whole suffering thing, but uh, can't we just enjoy this Passover meal like we always do? And why are you talking about eating your body? That's weird, right? This is very strange. And then Jesus goes on because what happens after they eat the bread? Well, you drink of the cup. You say the blessing and you drink the cup. And Jesus says, instead of what they would have expected, he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So imagine you then, you're picking up the the glass of wine to drink and Jesus said, by the way, that's my blood. Uh, Excuse me? (laughs) Again, Gross, first of all. Second of all, what? Who talks like this? Who speaks so matter-of-factly about their body being broken and their blood being poured out? Who says, what kind of person says, hey guys, this is my last Passover with you because my body's going to be broken and my blood's going to be poured out. But when you get together in the future, make sure you remember all of these things and try to remember what this bread and this cup represent, okay? Like, like who talks like that? Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you who talks like that. It's somebody who is in uh, complete and total control of the events going on around him. Now, if you read the Gospels, as we've been going through the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice is that Jesus is in complete control the whole time of when he's going to die. He knows that it's going to come. And over and over, we'll hear him say things like, my hour is not yet here, right? There's at least one instance that I can think of where um, Jesus makes a crowd upset and they like go to like pounce on him and he just like kind of cuts through him like a hot knife through butter. He just like, zoom, he just gets out of there. And uh, he was never in any danger of uh, dying without being in complete control of it. And, uh, and, um, and now it's time. It's getting close. And it's not a coincidence, church, that it's during Passover. This is very intentional. Jesus Again, and with the way that his sovereignty works and the, yet still the decisions of the people that were made around him, like it's come to Passover and it's not just a coincidence. Uh, Jesus is very intentional here. He's not improvising. It's not like he finds out, oh man, I think I'm stuck. I think I'm about to be in trouble here. Why don't I just kind of say some things real quick to help my disciples understand? No, this is, this is all intentional. The exodus from Egypt was the key event in the history of Israel, of God's faithfulness to deliver them. It was the most important thing for them to remember. They had lots of feasts to remember God's faithfulness for lots of things, but this was the big one. And Jesus, the Son of God, takes this feast and says about it, actually, it's been about me the whole time. And now I'm going to lead my people in a new exodus. My people aren't going to be slaves anymore either. They're in bondage right now too. They maybe don't know it, but they're in bondage just like Israel was in bondage to Egypt. But now they're going to be free. It's not through the parting of the water, but it's by the breaking of my body. And not through the blood of a lamb on a doorpost, but through my blood poured out for them. 
not through the firstborn of Egypt dying so that Israel can be free, but through the firstborn of all creation dying so that all people from every nation, tribe, and tongue can believe and be saved. It's all intentional. Jesus is amazing. The story of Jesus isn't a story of a random teacher who got put to death 2,000 years ago because he made some people in power upset. It's a story of the Son of God giving himself over voluntarily to death so that he could rescue his people from their own slavery, slavery that was ultimately to the evil one. And the exodus, as miraculous as it was, what Jesus is doing by taking this meal that meant one thing for over a thousand years and changing it is showing us that as miraculous as the exodus was, it was always pointing forward to this. It was always about Jesus. And so Jesus, on his final night with his disciples, again, it's just, it's so brilliant. If there's one takeaway I've had in our study of the Gospels, Jesus is just always on a different plane than you would ever expect him to be, and that shouldn't be surprising. Yet once again, it's another example of the brilliance of Jesus, who doesn't stand up and teach these things. He doesn't even necessarily give a whole, a whole lot of like context about what these things mean. He doesn't give a teaching. He gives them a meal. He says, these elements that used to mean this one thing now point towards me and what I'm about to do. And it's mind-blowing. And the disciples are sitting there, and they get to experience it. And uh, so what's their response? They, they break out into a round of applause. Woo! That was amazing. They start just singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound, right? No. And this is the next thing that we need to understand. What does Jesus say in Luke's account right after he talks about the cup? He says, what well, one of you is going to betray me. And so the disciples all look around, and they're like, whoa, wait a second. Where are your, where are your guys, Jesus? You mean one of us is going to betray you? Who's it going to be? And so they start questioning each other about uh, who's going to betray Jesus. And what's the answer? Who betrays Jesus? Judas, right? That's the, that's the, the short answer to that question. But I think what Luke is doing is uh, showing us something a little bit actually bigger than just Judas as the one who would betray them, him. Because um, uh, look at what happens just in your Bibles, literally right after Jesus institutes this new Passover meal. This is like, it's my, think about the significance of what, everything we just talked about. What is the next thing that Luke tells us the disciples are doing? <laughs> Arguing about what? Who's the greatest? It's jaw-dropping, truly. Are you kidding me? Well, Jesus is the greatest. (laughs) And if you are arguing about who's the greatest, it means you completely missed what Jesus is talking about. I can't think of anything they could have been doing that would demonstrate that they understood the teaching of Jesus any less than arguing about which one of them is the greatest. And then what's the next heading that happens? So Jesus kind of gives them patiently, more patiently than I would have, gives them, teaches them about what that, who's really the greatest. And then uh, what happens right after that? Jesus tells Peter uh, that he's going to deny him three times. And then what happens right after that? Jesus goes to pray and asks his disciples to stay up with him and pray. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They abandon him. And then, come Jesus, Judas, then comes Judas's betrayal. 
But by the time that happens, I mean, who's really by Jesus' side at this point? No one. No one. And so when Jesus says, one of you will betray me, uh, he's not wrong, and he's in the short term talking about Judas. Um, But by the time that happens, he's been let down by every single one of his disciples. So with the way Luke lays these things out, he's showing us uh, it wasn't just Judas, it wasn't just one bad actor. It was all of his disciples uh, that could not stay with him. And by extension, church, it's all of us, isn't it? And that brings us to the final portion of the sermon this morning, which is just simply, what is this Passover meal? And what does it mean, the way that Jesus changed it, like what does that mean for us? What does that mean for you? Are we just talking about history here? Are we just talking about culture and tradition? And then one random teacher 2,000 years ago. Or is it something more than that? That's for you to figure out for yourself. You need to decide that. On this final night, Jesus takes, breaks bread and he says, this is my body and it's been broken for you. And he takes a cup and he said, this cup is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. He says this is for you, the one who betrayed him. And so the question is simply, do you believe him? Do you believe that Jesus really poured out his blood as your sacrificial lamb? Do you believe that that covering is what will save you? Do you believe that only in Christ can we find redemption, the forgiveness of sins? It's a question this morning. And if you do believe, then I invite you to do what Jesus commanded us to do, which is to participate in this meal this morning. And if you find yourself not so sure, then I would just ask you to refrain and instead spend some time in prayer and just ask God, just bow your head before the Lord and just say, God, if, if you're real, if this is true, if this is as significant as this pastor is saying that it is, God, show me and, and help my heart to believe. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm going to invite you to participate in this new Passover meal today. We're not going to do it pretend. We're going to do it for real this time. We're going to do it a little bit different than we normally do. I'll explain it in a moment. Uh, But for right now, the first thing I need us to do is to gather the elements. And so you'll be dismissed from the back, row by row. ask you to just come forward, grab the elements, and then go out the back the other aisles, uh, the side aisles. Uh, they're stacked on top of each other, so make sure you get both of them, the bread and the cup are, are stacked in two. And so make sure you grab them both, return to your seat, uh, spend some time in prayer with the Lord, and then I'll talk to us about how we're gonna uh, take these elements together this morning. In the Passover meal, a blessing was sung before each element was taking, taken. And so uh, I thought this morning what we could do is sing together and reflect on each element. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to sing the song In Christ Alone together. Uh, We'll stay seated, sing the first two verses, uh, and then I will lead us in taking the bread. Then we'll sing the third verse. I'll lead us in taking the cup. And then we'll stand and we'll sing the final verse. Uh, But uh, for now, we're going to sing these two verses. And so what I want you to do is uh, take the bread, take it out of the cup, and just hold it in your hand. And uh, as we sing these verses, I just want you to reflect on the body of Jesus broken for you on the cross. 
as we sing together. So let's sing the first two verses of In Christ Alone. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of Stilled when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ, I stand in Christ alone. of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin Jesus took the bread, he spoke, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he satisfied the wrath of God against your sin, all of it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus, because it has been satisfied in Christ. So as we eat, let's remember that the death of Christ means life forevermore. Let's eat. Now let's turn to the cup. As we sing this verse, let's reflect on the forgiveness of sin as bought with the blood of Jesus. tells us that when Jesus took the cup, this is what he said. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
as we drink together, remember that your sins have been forgiven and that his resurrection means a penalty has been paid and that you have been bought and are now secured by the precious blood of Jesus. Let's drink. Now, as we sing this final verse together, let's stand and let's reflect on this incredible future that is ours now because of what Jesus did for us. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever block me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of of Jesus broken on the cross for the blood that was poured out for us for the forgiveness of our sins we betrayed you we went everyone our own way but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all thank you we didn't deserve it but you did it God you sent us your son to be our Passover lamb, the perfect spotless sacrifice. We long for the day when he returns or calls us home. We can enjoy fellowship with you forever. But in the meantime, God, help us to stand firm in the precious blood of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I think that's an appropriate place for our service to end this morning. What a blessing to reflect on the precious blood of Jesus together. I love you, Rock Prairie. You're dismissed.